When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, our guest is Curtis Bailey, who is the founder of Quiet Wealth Management in Cincinnati, Ohio. Welcome, Curtis. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here, and thank you so much for having me on your show. Great. So, Curtis, tell us about yourself and kind of, you know, how did you get to where you're at now? What was uh, what got you going in that direction? Yeah, I I think I've uh, rode the wave of financial services um, as you've just if you go back over the last 20 years from really kind of starting my journey right at the transition into the dot com era where you had the Scott trades and the E-trades come alive. And you just saw that switch of financial services away from being access into shifting that a little bit more towards advice to being more fee-based. And at that point it was fee-based in lieu of commissions. Um, At that point I worked at one of the big uh, wire houses and continued to work there over most of my career as that continued to shift uh, towards managing assets, uh, adding in more financial services uh, to where I am now is much more on this fee-only world where where it's uh, very clear what uh, I'm, how I'm getting compensated. Um, and then a derivative of that that I've really embraced is flat fee uh, for service. So it's not tied into assets under management. It really is directly, here's the cost uh, for everything that I do regardless of how much I'm managing. Right. So Curtis, what, what is it about, you know, the, the financial planning of what you do that gets you excited every morning, kind of gets you up and gets your blood flowing? Yeah. And I, I really love working with individual clients and doing a lot of uh, planning for them. Uh, what what we, we had begun to talk about uh, before starting uh, the show this morning was really thinking about tax strategy over a longer period of time. Uh, right now, I'm working through a, a divorce, and it is really challenging personally, uh, just knowing both of them, knowing where they're coming from, uh, the struggles that they've had, but also trying to take those steps to say, what else should we be thinking about here 
what are the opportunities um, for one of them that's likely going to mean uh, setting up uh, a CRUT um, and, and doing some estate planning work uh, for the other one, really trying to figure out a little bit more of income and how to balance that out all within that framework of saying, um, how do we make this money last? Uh, what should we be doing from a portfolio perspective? Um, and that's really what I've tried to embrace uh, at this point in my career and founding uh, Quiet Wealth Management is really delivering that individualized financial planning centric advice. Um, and it, it's just a different frame of mind from I need to gather assets. I'm purely the portfolio manager and, and investments are important. That has long been who I've represented myself as. But, it, but as I think about what have I really tried to separate myself around and where do I think the future of the industry is, uh, it really is on focusing much more on the, the individual person, the couple, what are those small choices that they can make uh, that add up significantly over time uh, so that they end up probably or hopefully paying less taxes, having more money to spend, um, and really just decreased anxiety around uh, what's happening from a financial perspective. That's great stuff. What so what made you pursue the career in um, you know in the financial industry? I know you said you kind of came in you know with with the dot com era and everything else but what was it that made you decide to get into this industry so i i originally um i mean this is going to be the embarrassing answer uh i wanted to be really rich um i i remember telling all of my friends you've heard of this guy charles schwab put it down curtis bailey he's the man um that's that's what pulled me in um and i could not have been more wrong in what that really meant and who I really wanted to be. Um, and, and I think, um, honestly, it was when I was interning that I think I had my first real shift in perspective. And what it was is I, I was sitting down with this couple. Um, I had done all of the work, uh, had their portfolio lined up, their asset allocation, what were they invested in, what were the recommended changes, and they had said, you know, they, they were thinking about retiring soon. So I ran a retirement analysis and everything looked great. And it was just like, boom, delivered. Uh, probably, again, shouldn't have been because I was 20, uh, not registered. But then I, I just asked a question. So I was like, well, what are you going to be doing? And it was flat. They were like, nothing. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I, I know you're, you're, you're retired. What? what are you really going to be doing? Like, are you going to play golf? Are you going to crochet? Are you going to see the grandkids? And they're like, nothing. And I, I'm just aghast. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like you, you have no personal plan for what you're going to do. And that was kind of the setup where I, I remember coming out of the meeting, telling my boss, I was like, they're going to go back to work. Like there's no way this is going to work. And it, it's not financial. It's personal. Right. And uh, it's truly what happened. I, I mean, within the next 12 months, uh, the, the, the wife only lasted three months. Uh, I think by the time the husband kind of ran out of steam was eight, nine months in. Uh, but that was really the shift for me where it was like, well, this financial advice is really so much more about uh, life and how to use money 
to make it meaningful to what you really care about uh, versus let's find the next Amazon and that's what's going to make life better. Yeah, I, I kind of laugh when, when, you, when you say this because typically that's the conversation that I'm having with a couple. Um, lots of times they're not both retiring at the same time, but one mm -hmm. of them is retired and the other one's talking about retiring. And I, I got the two of them in the room and I'm like, okay, so what are you going to do? Eh, I don't know. I'm going to you know tinker around the house and stuff like that. And then I look over at the spouse that has already retired and at home. And I'm like, how's that going to work in with your daily plans that you have now? And they're like, it's not. And it's yeah. like, okay, so let, you know, that now, now I've just put my marriage counselor hat on and you're kind of like, okay, guys, you, you got to think through this. It's like, yes, financially, you're going to be fine. But if both of you guys are at home, there's going to be a lot of friction and stuff like that. And you really need to talk to, and they've said, and they both said, you know, nobody has asked us that question yet. Right. So I think that what, what you're doing and, and what you saw, especially at, at, at 20, um, is very insightful um, because many people don't see that. Right. And I, I think of just as another funny story. So my dad had a trial retirement um, where he had a package. He didn't think he was really going to retire, but it, it basically gave him a little time. Um, and, and not exaggerating, he started talking to my, my mother about taking a wide stance when she's going up the stairs because the carpet was wearing too much in the middle. And, you know, you hear small stories like that, but it, it just really highlights that focus where it's like, you really have to think broader from that retirement perspective of what's that shift in identity gonna be like? Right. What are you really gonna do and how are you gonna stay engaged? Um, what are you gonna do physically? And how do you keep up your ability to do everything that you want to do. Um, and and I, I think that's a, an important thing that I, I've just tried to really embrace is, is thinking about giving better financial advice, is really understanding who are these people in front of me mm -hmm. and what really matters to them. And it, it's not that I have the perfect prescription for, for life, but if I ask some good questions, it helps them really think through what matters? What should we be doing? What are those things that I'm not necessarily taking into consideration? Um, and it's just another kind of service at some level. I, I mean, I, I, as I'm just thinking through that, it's similar to trying to approach estate planning or insurance or investments. There, there are just small little things that for whatever reason we don't initially see, but by having a good conversation that allows us to explore that to, to get to know um, some other opportunities and then to begin to implement on those. Right. So tell me, what are some questions that, you know, when you pick up a new client um, or prospective client and they come in and meet with you, what are some of the questions that you wish they were asking you that they don't ask? That's a, that's a great question. Um, and I, I try to lead them to a lot of that. Uh, to, to really, well, so one of the things that I, I often kind of come back to is what is your goal and trying to have someone understand a little bit beyond that uh, to say, well, it's not 
one goal. I, I'm not just one dimensional. It's not just one thing that I'm trying to accomplish. And I, I wish people would think a little bit less about here's the, the answer. And you know, I'm, you're going to come meet with me and I'm going to tell you, here's the five things you need to do. Um, but, but really try to come in, I think with a little bit more of that exploratory perspective to say, well, what are the other things that I should be considering? I, I mean, maybe, maybe that's really the question that I would come back to is on a, on a cursory level, we're, we're going to talk about, well, you're going to accumulate assets. We're going to, uh, invest it or we're going to have it. So you're taking your social security at a certain point. Um, you know, maybe it makes sense to defer. You're going to be living off a certain amount of income, but what are the other ways that we can be trying to balance that with uh, potentially investing for a legacy? Um, and should we be trying to incorporate that earlier? And then uh, on the other end of it is just thinking about cash and cash flow and kind of that current anxiety. I, 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 just thinking of different people that who have plenty of money, but their concerns about where that money is, um, how how safe and readily available it is, and trying to solve around that. Um, I, I, I think we can optimize a lot. Um, and, and being a, a really detail-oriented person, um, I, I catch myself sometimes where, you know, here's here's the questions, here's the path, here's the, the portfolio. Um, but trying to step away from that a little bit to, to look and explore what are some other tactics that we can use uh, that can help in the long run uh, give you more peace, uh, kind of decrease that anxiety. Um, and hopefully, uh, again, thinking of that like legacy type of perspective, whether that is charitable, whether that's inheritance to kids, but the earlier that we think about that, um, I, I think the better that can be. And that, and that, that even flows back into that concept of, of relationships um, where I, I've really tried to encourage a lot, lot more families to have family meetings and really talk about their wealth and what they're doing with it and what their estate plan is. And you can do that without ever mentioning the dollar amounts connected to it. Right. Uh, but you can talk through values and you, you can talk through your concerns um, a, a lot of people as they're in their 70s, they're just concerned that they're passing along wealth. Are, are their kids going to be able to handle it? Are, are they mature enough? And I, I think sometimes just having that conversation um, helps along the way where, you know, sometimes we just fall into these roles of we, we, we go to our, our, our friend's house and we certainly become, we're cert we become a certain person, a certain version of ourselves. Same thing when we go to our parents' house and, and we can miss the, the changes that we've made personally and who we've become connected to that. Um, you know, I, I think of some of my aunts and uncles where occasionally we're having a conversation and I realize to them, I'm, I'm the 12 year old boy that was like throwing balls and right. I'm like, that, that is not me at all these days. Like I'm a professional. I, I work with high net worth individuals across like a depth of uh, perspectives. Um, but that's who they initially think um, what comes to mind for them. 
And I, I think that's really where having those family meetings becomes so productive because you can begin to shift that conversation and, and both parties begin to feel better. Um, the, the parents about, you know, are, are their wishes going to be granted? Do, do they, you know, are, are they as concerned about uh, what their children are going to be doing? And then the children themselves um, often are able to kind of take that and begin to step into helping uh, with, with care and helping with other decisions. And I, I find that kind of glide paths into uh, a more effective and uh, retirement. Right. So, you know, going through, you know, all of that, um, you know, you brought up some really good points um, through there on things that people should be thinking about. What are some of the, the common mistakes that you're seeing people make, you know, and I understand you just kind of told us some of the things that they need to be thinking about, but what are some of the things that they've actually done that are mistakes that you have to go back and help them correct? Yeah, and um, so I we think of the, for one thing that I particularly recognize lately, um, and it's, it's part of the challenge of assets under management type of approach, but doing automatically leaving a company and rolling over into an IRA might not always be the best course of action. And part of that, um, and currently there, there's proposals that might take this away, but doing a backdoor Roth, um, is it a, a game changer for most people as it's $6,000 or $7,000 a year? No, but as that builds out across retirement, it creates extra flexibility. It has more of those assets in that after-tax bucket. Um, and I, I think that's something where taking a, a little bit of a longer perspective and saying, can we continue to allocate and manage those assets uh, while in a 401k rather than in an IRA, is that going to behoove you over time? Um, I, uh, from a tax perspective, um, I, I see a lot of people um, trading their portfolio um, way too much relative to what they should be doing and not thinking through that asset location. Um, what, what is really going to be effective? Um, what's the most desirable from an income tax perspective to have in a trust account uh, versus in a tax deferred account? Um, and I, I think that's always a, an important piece of planning to really think through uh, to make sure that someone's really doing. Um, and then the, the last piece that I, I think of is it, it's a mistake more by omission, and it is not getting an estate plan put together. Um, so they, they haven't taken those steps to um, often, I would say, create a trust, but it's even financial power of attorneys, healthcare power of attorneys. Uh, having their will in place, uh, making sure all of that titling is done correctly. Um, I, I, it, it is amazing to me. And I, I, not, I have a 60-year-old client who still has his mother on his bank account, not his wife, his mother. And those are things that I, I see at some level all the time where there's, there's separate bank accounts and one of them has all of the assets uh, the other one has just a, a little bit. And if one of them passes away, those accounts can be frozen. And I mean, it's just so important to take those steps to 
try to make sure that uh, cash is accessible um, and everything is f flowing from a f plan perspective the way you'd like it to. Yeah, I know. I definitely, you know, to piggyback on what you just talked about, I've seen a lot of people that, um, you know, they maybe had their parent as a beneficiary on their 401k mm -hmm. or IRA or life insurance. The parent is now deceased and they never named a secondary beneficiary or updated their beneficiary. So when they've passed away, now suddenly it goes to the estate. And it's all taxable now as compared to being passed on to the beneficiaries that you want it to. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that that's a, a, a big mistake that people make. Um, and, you know, using a professional like you to make sure that this stuff is being done is, is something that I think is very important. Um, what other things can you tell our listeners of, of why it's important to use a professional when it comes to uh, investing their money. I mean, I know earlier you talked about, um, you know, some of the, the, the reasons why you do what you do. Um, but again, you know, I know a lot of people are doing their own trading and things like that. I mean, how is being a professional like you helpful in those situations as compared to me just trying to do it all on my own? Yeah. And and to, to, to use probably too big of a word here, but uh, I think of efficacy as, as one of the important things. And um, maybe using like a money ball type of example where it's, you can take a tactic of saying, we're going to swing for the fences, we're going to try to get the home run hitter. But is that really the point and what, what are you truly trying to accomplish? And what I try to help people with, and, and this is, where I think a professional can really help is what's the whole point? Why are you investing money? Right. And for, for some people that they kind of do the, well, I, I want the best returns possible. I, I want, and it's like, okay, well, wh what does that do for you? What, right. what does that help you accomplish? That's where you begin to get to this point, which is well, what you're typically trying to do. And, and this isn't always the case, but you're trying to at least keep up with inflation and probably surpass inflation. Um, and, and that isn't the MSCI ACWI, that's not the Barclays aggregate, that's not the S&P 500. It is a completely different perspective of what you're trying to do, is you're trying to take your money and make sure that in the future, it, you are able to spend at least at the same rate and ideally at a higher rate uh, of return than that. Um, and that is, takes a little bit more time to kind of think through. And when you're building a portfolio like that, you begin to say, well, we don't need to find the high flyers. What we can do is we can compound. We can uh, take a much more strategic approach. And it's not saying we're not going to make tactical decisions in there, but it, it is, uh, I'll, I'll particularly lean towards low cost, diversified investments are going to be a big lever from a portfolio standpoint that trying to decide between Pfizer and Merck is probably not going to really derive a huge difference in results. And, and again, that's not saying you shouldn't be spending time on that. It's just the, the bigger piece of the puzzle is really saying, what does your allocation look like? That's going to have a much bigger effect on what the, those returns look like. 
Um, and then I, I, I also go back to this thing of trying to parse out a little bit about what are you truly trying to accomplish and trying to think of how much should you have protected um, and are you worried about long-term care? Are you worried about, uh, because you're still working, disability? Um, and should we have more protection in place? Um, how, how much of an emphasis should we be putting purely on um, retire as soon as possible and just be as efficient with that portfolio uh, versus taking maybe some more calculated risk um, that, that could you know, even be crypto, um, as I think about kind of topic mm -hmm. du jour, um, you know, trying to take a calculated uh, amount of your portfolio that can be invested uh, so, so that you really have that chance to really increase your spending in the future. Um, I, I think that takes a little bit more thought than just uh, trying to say, well, I'm going to own 5% of Apple and 10% of Amazon. Um, I think you can take a, a, a professional really helps someone kind of think through that and build a portfolio that can hopefully get them closer to their goals um, in a way that probably is a little bit more boring. Um, but I think the, the offset of that is it becomes much more effective. What is it that you know now that you wish you knew when you first started out? I'll really go back to that concept of what is the, the the purpose of investing? And it, it really comes back to um, investing and money is all about underwriting a meaningful life. Um, and I think that switch from kind of money being the focus and shifting that a little bit more towards time. So money is a way to buy time. And that's that's a different mindset than I had at the beginning. Um, and I've really learned over time to take that much more seriously. Um, and I, I talk a lot about time freedom uh, with, with clients um, in trying to think through what are they going to do as they have that? And if they can, try to manufacture that um, as they're getting closer to retirement. Um, and, and therefore, it begins to shift that perspective a little bit more of, well, what am, what am I really doing? How am I going to spend my time? Um, and th they still often are, are on the cash. Um, they're, they're receiving pay payments from their company, uh, but from a perspective of saying, uh, can they work remotely uh, a couple days a week? Um, and obviously this was pre-COVID when I was originally trying to talk to people about that. But I, I think it's helped a lot for a number of people that, worth talking about retiring this year or next year or the year after, uh, COVID really manufactured and forced uh, that insight into really looking at your time differently um, and saying, well, what does this really look like if I'm spending more time at home, um, if I'm working somewhere more re remotely? Um, and I, I think that's been a big perspective changer for me. Um, and it's something that I, I try to help uh, clients really see too is that the value of their time um, and, and and really try to use money uh, to buy them more time. Right. So we've we've covered a lot of material today so far. Um, tell me what what is it that I haven't asked you that you wish I had? 
So this is going to be really self-serving. Um, I have a book coming out in December. Okay. Uh, it is called Quality Time Left. And that book uh, really hits on a number of things that we talked about uh, today, uh, from relationships to engagement uh, to health span. Um, and I, I think it it's a different type of a book when thinking about retirement, um, where you know, so, so many of those are, should you have an annuity or how do you get more cash flow to your portfolio or the best dividend stocks? Um, and, and instead, it, this book looks at things and says, do you know what the number one and number two th measures that drive human longevity are? Do you have a guess? No guess. Okay. So number one is social integration and number two are strong social ties. That has nothing to do with your diet. It has right. nothing to do with movement. It has nothing to do with mental acuity and learning. It deals all with uh, your community um, and how you feel a part of it. Uh, it's dealing with having close friends. Um, and th those are, are a number of the different things that I kind of cover throughout the book. Um, and and I, I just hope it helps people um, as just a different way to think about and prepare for retirement uh, that really is focused much more on the personal aspect of it. Great. Well, congratulations on the, on the book. Thank you so much. So Curtis, if, if our listeners like what they've heard and they want to talk to you some more, how can they uh, reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, quietwealth.net is my business site. Um, I, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Curtis Bailey, and uh, on Twitter, uh, quiet underscore wealth. So I appreciate your time. Uh, today on the podcast, our guest was Curtis Bailey, who's the founder of Quiet Wealth Management in Cincinnati, Ohio. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.